Take your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to read verse 1 and uh, verse 2. And then I'm just going to deal with verse 1 in the introduction and then just the first phrase of verse 2. Y'all ready to get controversial? I didn't hear you. Y'all ready to get controversial? All right, here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Father, I just pray that you would just take over, take charge. And Father, you would give light to each and every one of us for your glory and your honor in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, you may be seated. So what is the purpose and who is 1 Peter written to? Well, 1 Peter is written to, as verse 1 says, these strangers and these different towns. Now, why would he use that term? Well, the term speaks of those primarily Jewish who had come to the saving knowledge of Christ, who had, through persecution, had to literally relocate into these other towns. And that's the reason he uses the term strangers. Why? Because that's not the town they were from. And so persecution was very, very much effective and alive in this time. And so Peter is writing to not only help these individual Christians, and by the way, there's a mixed audience here because this will also include Gentiles, but yet it also includes those ones that were Jewish that had came to the saving knowledge of Christ. And he's writing to not only exhort and encourage these that have been persecuted, but to prepare them that, guess what? It's not going to get any better. Now, one of the things you need to understand today is we in America know nothing of persecution. I mean nothing. You say, well, preacher, I had a door slammed in my face once. That's not persecution. You and I have no clue what persecution is. But I'm telling you right now, if we stay on the same course we are on as a country, you better get ready, you're fixing to know what it is. Because the gospel and the church is in the crosshairs of many folks in our nation today. I read an article just this week, matter of fact, just two days ago, that 20 years ago, 70% of the population proclaimed to be Christian. Now I said proclaim. Y'all didn't hear me. Proclaim. Didn't say they were. Today, that number is 36%. So what are you saying? I'm saying we've always been fish swimming upstream. But we're more so now. The current's getting stronger and stronger. And so this book, I believe, is a timely, timely book. Now, with that being said, here's what I want to do this morning. 
As I said a minute ago, when I gave you this outline, I had outlined the whole verse 2 out. Loaded verse. But I've come to realize that, that I needed to deal just with this first phrase of chapter 2. Now, here's what I'm going to ask of you that are here today and you that are listening online. I want you to hear out this whole message before you draw any conclusions. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Because we're going to look at this phrase, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now you say, well, why are you saying this is controversial? Because people are confused as a termite and a yo-yo concerning this phrase. And I'm just being honest. I mean, this term elect, this term foreknowledge, these two terms has confused, and I would say divided many churches. But if you don't understand this precious truth, why was he writing this truth to them to start with? Because listen, if you're being persecuted, what's one of the greatest ways you can be encouraged? To know that your salvation is real. And therefore he's writing this verse to help these believers to understand, hey, this is who you are in God's sight, and this is what God did for you. Now in verse 2, you're going to see the whole triune Godhead at work in your salvation. You're going to see the work of God the Father. You're going to see the work of God the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see the work of God the Son. Now I'm going to deal with the work of God the Father this morning. I'll come back tonight and deal with the work of God the Holy Spirit and God the Son. But you're going to find that the whole triune Godhead was involved in your salvation. And I don't know about you, but that ought to encourage you if you're saved today. That God would find it so important that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... The three persons that God is one, God manifested himself three ways, God is one, would all be involved in your salvation. Boy, what an encouragement. So now let's deal with this first phrase. First thing I want you to see is the work of a sovereign God. You cannot dismiss the fact that God is sovereign. Would you agree with that? Say amen. I want you to see three things of this work of a sovereign God. The first thing is the mercy of God. Now, notice this term, elect. Now, this term, elect, is a Greek word, and I'm going to define it for you as it's defined in the original Greek language. Here's the way it's defined. Chosen, selected, favorite. So, in other words, you could define this word in this way. Chosen to be favored, or chosen to be favorite, or selected to be favored. Now you say, well, where's the mercy in God in that? Because the Bible says when you and I were lost, we were enemies against God. When you and I were lost, we were aliens. We were separated from God. We were against God. Listen, we were repulsive in our actions. Our sin was rebellion before Him. And yet God in His grace would take a rebel like me and you. And God in His grace would make us a favored among Himself. This is what the Word means. Now the debate comes in is when were you chosen? See, y'all thought I was going to skip that, didn't you? 
I'm not going to skip any of it. So this is what we're going to get into. Now, there's two views primarily in our country that either slant the interpretation of this phrase one way or the other. And I'm here to tell you that both of those views are wrong. You say, what are the two views? One view is the view called Armenian doctrine. And that view is simply this, that man can come to God whenever he chooses. In other words, God don't choose you, you choose him. Can I tell you? That's false. There's another view called the Calvinist doctrine. The Calvinist doctrine has this view. That man has predetermined who would be saved and who would be lost. And therefore God chose from the foundation of the earth only those he's predetermined to be saved. Can I tell you? That is equally false. So you say, well, preacher, are you Armenian or Calvinist? Are y'all ready? Y'all sitting down, say amen. amen. Neither. Matter of fact, I've been toying with writing a book for years. I might be 95 years old when I finish it. Entitled The Tale of Two Ditches. Because I believe both of these doctrines are ditches. So now, I'm going to say some things. And you, if, you're, if you didn't listen to what I just said, you're going to walk out of here with a wrong perception of where I am. I want to make this clear. I am not a Calvinist. And I am not a Armenian. The truth is in the middle of the two. So y'all settled on that. Say amen. All right, so. Now, so what does it mean then when God says, and God calls them elect, according to the foreknowledge of God. Well, let's dive into this word chosen, which is what the word elect means. Look with me, if you will, at John chapter 15 and verse 16. Here's the words of the Lord. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name he may give it you. Now, listen to what the Lord said. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, remember the message I preached a couple Sundays ago, two Sundays ago, on the deceitfulness of the heart. And if you'll remember that message, I told you that the heart is a deceitful above all things. And remember I told you all things means all things. And if you remember, I said that means your heart is even more deceitful than Satan itself. In other words, the heart you inherited from Adam is all the way deceitful. Therefore, the Bible says no man comes after God. No man seeks after God. Why? Because your heart is so defiled from Adam that there would be no inclination and no desire in and of yourself to ever seek after God. Are y'all with me so far? All right, now. So what does God do? Well, I'm glad here's what God did. God went and found you and you didn't find him. Matter of fact, when God showed me I was lost, I thought I was saved. 
So I promise you, I wasn't looking for him in salvation. I thought I already was saved. But I'm glad God came and visited me one day in a church when a man preached on the wheat and tares and on the hood of my car after that service, weeping before God. God showing me I was lost. I'm glad when I didn't even realize I was lost. God found me and God spoke to my heart. So what does this word elect mean? The choosing of God is reflected in two ways, two manners. Now listen to me. Number one, God and God alone has to initiate your salvation. So when it says that we are chosen of God, here's what it means. It means God initiated. If you're saved today, it's because God initiated. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Here's the second fork of what it means when God chose you. That not only did God initiate your salvation, but how many of you agree God's got a way in which you've got to come to Him? How many agree the Bible says faith and repentance? Grace through faith, not of works. All right? Who's the only one that knows the heart? Who's the only one that knows that somebody is coming to Him on His basis? So therefore, here's the second component to what this word chosen means. It means not only does God have to initiate your salvation, but God and God alone knows your heart when you come to him, when God convicts, when God shows you your loss, when God gives you the invitation, no man can come to the Father unless he's drawn. So therefore, God's got to initiate. Then at that moment, guess what? It's only God that knows the heart of the person that comes on the basis of God's initiation. So in other words, can God convict somebody, show them their law, and they come to him with this mindset? Well, I want to get out of hell, but I'm not going to let him be Lord over my life. So here's the second component of what this word chosen means. You don't receive Christ, God receives you. And you re God receives you on the basis of what he knows about your heart. I hear people quote this verse all the time. If you come unto me, I will in no wise cast you out. Let me tell you about that verse. That is absolutely correct. But there's a way in which God said you've got to come. And if repentance and faith is not on basis of that way, surrender, yielding yourself unto him as Lord, then I got news for you. He has the sovereign right to reject you. Now, he may still deal with you. Praise God he did me. But he doesn't have to receive you at that moment. Now, you say, well, preacher, you can't put any Bible with that. Y'all ask some good questions, say amen. This is not, a lot of what I'm going to deal with here is not on your outline because I really didn't plan on dealing with this until this morning. But turn with me to John chapter 2 and the last two verses of John 2. Let me remind you of a text that I've shared with you before. Last three verses. Verse 23. Watch what it says. Now when he, being Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, 
Many believed in his name. Now, how many of you agree today, growing up as Baptists all our life, we'd automatically say these folks were saved? All right? Let's find out. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But, how many agree when you see a but, something's changing? But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify a man for he knew what was in man. So how many agree God knew something about their heart that the others didn't know? Now, here's what's unique about this passage. Look at verse 23. Many believed in him. Pastuo. Look at verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself. Guess what that Greek word is? Same word, pastuo. So here's the way it really reads. Many believed in him, but he didn't believe in their belief. In other words, they believed on him for what he could do for them. But they didn't believe in him for who he was as Messiah and Lord. And it says Jesus did not believe in them. For he knew the heart of man. So how many agree today? It's only God that knows the heart of man. So when God chooses, here's what it means. The choosing of God is simply this. God initiates the salvation. And God alone knows the heart of those who come to him. And therefore on the basis of what God knows about their heart, are they coming God's way or man's way? On that basis alone, God can receive or reject. You say, well, preacher, you can't give me any illustration in the Bible where that happened. How many hours do you have? For time's sake, let me give you one. Which book of the Bible you want me to start in? Okay, Genesis. How many agree that's the first book? All right, how many agree that Adam taught Cain and Abel how they must come to God? How many agree Cain and Abel were alienated from God, separated from God, and Cain and Abel both desired to be in right fellowship with God? Would you all agree with that? Say amen. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Why in the world would they even bring a sacrifice if they didn't desire? So both had the same desire. All right? God had gave away. The way was by blood and blood alone. So Cain said, well, listen. Boy, I got a better way. I got something that I produce with my own hands. I mean, look, I toiled and I tilled and I, I pulled and I planted and I watered and I brought forth. I mean, look what I've done, God. And he brought the fruit of the ground. Abel, what did he do? Well, he just brought the blood. God looked at Abel and accepted his sacrifice. Both had the same desire, both had the same intent. But only one came the way God laid it out to come. And God rejected Cain. Now you say, well, preacher, that proves Calvinism. No, it refutes Calvinism. You say, how does it refute Calvinism? Because the Calvinist will say this, that God only gives opportunity to those he's predetermined. You say, well, how do you know he gave Cain an opportunity? Because when Cain brought the wrong sacrifice, God went back to Cain and said, Cain, if thou doest well, will thou not be accepted? Let me ask you a question. Did God want Cain to go back and bring a blood sacrifice? 
Absolutely. So when Cain stood before God, what was the basis of his judgment? The sovereignty of God? Oh, Cain, I'm sorry. I predetermined you're not going to be saved. Or was it what Cain did with the truth that God gave him? You say it's the truth. You say it right. You say, how do you know? Romans chapter 2, verse 2. The judgment of God is according to truth. So God didn't accept Cain, even though Cain wanted what Abel wanted. You heard a message this past Sunday morning from Ron Lynch of a rich man that fell at the feet of the Lord Jesus and begged for eternal life and walked away grieved. Why? Because there was no repentance and surrender in his heart. Now, if that would have happened in a Baptist church, that rich man would have been led in a prayer, baptized the next week. Because he was rich, he'd have been popular. Because he was popular, after he'd been a member a year, he'd have got a unanimous vote to be a deacon. And then after two years, he'd have been chairman. And the Lord said, you're not, you didn't come my way as a little child. So I can't give you what you want. So the choosing of God. God initiates. And God and God alone determine who comes his way. Y'all got it? Say amen. amen. Second that. Not only do you find here the mercy of God, you find here the mind of God. He says, elect according to. I'll deal with that word in a minute. The foreknowledge of God. Now, this is the word that really confuses a lot of people. You say, why does it confuse a lot of people? Because the root of the original Greek word. The root of the original Greek word is the same root of the word foreordained in Scripture. But here's the problem. The suffix or the ending of the word is totally different. Let me show you what I mean. Let me give you the Greek word for this word foreknowledge. The Greek word, and I'm going to pronounce it. You say, why are you going to pronounce the Greek word? I can't read Greek. When I pronounce it, you're immediately going to know what I'm saying. The Greek word is prognosis. Guess where we got the English word from? All right, so what's a prognosis? Doc is here. Doc diagnoses someone with cancer. And through the doc's experience and the doc's knowledge of that cancer, the doc looks at that person and that person says, what's the prognosis? In other words, here's what they're asking. What is going to be the likely outcome? And the doc, based upon his knowledge, his education, his experience, here's what the doc says. You've probably got two to three months to live. He gave that person a prognosis. Now, here's where that illustration breaks down with God. Because the dot gives a likely prognosis. You take the word likely out and you'll get where God's at. God knows. God don't have to do likely 
God don't have to do maybe this will happen. God knows. Now, look at verse 20 of chapter 1. I'll show you the same root word, but in a different ending of the root word, and show you how it's applied. Look at verse 19 first. But with the precious blood. Y'all verse 19? Okay. With the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. Alright, so now let's stop right there. Who's this talking about? Jesus. Who barely was what? Foreordained. Before the foundation of the world. But was manifest in the last times for you. That word foreordained is the same root word as foreknowledge. But the ending of the word is totally different. In verse number 2, it's prognosis. In verse number 20, it's pro prognostico. How many of you remember hearing me say this before? That there's three kinds of knowledge. There's kenosis, there's Kenosko and epinosis. Kenosko means what? Experiential knowledge. Knowledge that becomes experience. Knowledge that's been acted upon. So here's the difference. In verse 4, he just uses the word prognosis, to foreknow, or to foreknow the end, result. But in verse number 20, he uses the word prognosko, which means what? That now, what he knows, he's already determined or acted upon. How many agree today before there ever was a fall in the garden, God the Father already had the provision in the Lord Jesus Christ? How many agree when the fall in the garden happened, God didn't have to go back and form a committee and say, oh no, I didn't plan on that one, what are we going to do? How many agree God already had a provision before there ever was a what? In other words, before there ever was... One day of creation, God already knew that His Son would be the only hope for man. Foreordained. But in verse 2, it means forethought. Now, let me give you a very elementary way to understand a little bit of what this means in relation to God. There are a certain areas where you and I have the ability to have forethought. You say, what areas are those? How many of y'all like to go to the beach? Raise your hand. How many of y'all like to walk on the beach? Raise your hand. How many of y'all always look and see when high tide is before you walk on the beach? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. How many of y'all walk on the beach when it's high tide? Okay, a couple of them. How many of y'all always find out when it's high tide before you go walk on the beach? <laughs> y'all need help. How many of you agree if you don't want to walk on the beach when it's high tide, you can look and find out when it is? I salvaged that illustration, didn't I, Max? <laughs> How do you know? You can know within minutes. 
of when high tide is. How many of you mow your yard usually late in the afternoon? Okay. If you've worked all day and you've got to get your yard mowed that day, it's going to rain the next four days. How many of you agree you know how long it takes you to mow your yard? How many of you agree if you had to work over, you better find out when it gets dark? So you can start on time to get it mowed. Four knots. Four thoughts. But now here's the difference between you and God. Everything with God is perfect now. For you and I, we have little individual examples we can give like what I gave. But everything else for us is afterthought, not forethought. But with God, there is no afterthought. Y'all have heard me say this before. I want to say it again. Everything with God is now. Amen. Bible says Christ was crucified from when? Foundation of the world. But Christ was really crucified 2,000 years ago. So which is it, preacher? From the foundation of the world or 2,000 years ago? Well, I want to answer the question, yes. You say, what do you mean, yes? God in his heart and mind, Christ was already crucified. Because he already knew it was reality. But literally, he hung on the cross 2,000 years ago. All right, so now let me ask you a question. Did God know you before you ever were a twinkle in your mother's eye? Did God know the day that he would break light upon your heart? Did God know... Whether in response to that light that he broke up on your heart, how you would respond to him. So here's the reality. Brandon, how long have you been saved? 31 years. For God, you were saved before you ever were. Before there ever was a was. Now, the literal salvation of Brandon was 31 years ago. But remember, 31 years ago for God was now before he ever created anything. Are y'all hearing me say amen? So therefore, you were chosen, initiated by God. You were chosen as a favor to God to show his favor upon you because God knew before you ever were when and if you would ever yield in faith and repentance unto him. Now you say, why is that important, preacher? How many things did God protect you of before he actually saved you? If God didn't know, how would he have known to protect you? How many of you in here today did God have to do a deep work in your heart that took time to bring you to a place to get you to the end of yourself that God would save you? How did God know what it would take? 
He's God. Are y'all with me? Say amen. All right, well, you say, preacher, this ain't very controversial. Oh, it's fixing to get bad right here. Y'all with me? All right. Look at the third thing. The mercy of God, the mind of God, and the manner of God. God has a manner or a way in which he works. Now, look at this with me. According to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I want you to understand this word according to. Here's the way it's defined in the original language. After the manner of the foreknowledge of God. So in other words, what God does is in great correlation to what God knows. Now, let me deal with two things and then I'm going to explain this to you, okay? The first thing is this. Just because God knows who's going to be saved and who's going to reject Him does not mean God does not give opportunity to those that are going to reject Him. Now you say, prove that to us. Y'all ask some great questions. you know that? All right. How many of you remember Romans chapter 1? All right, let me paraphrase. You read it when you get home. The Bible says that God gives creation. What does creation do? Cries out the glory of God. God gives every man a what? Conscience. What does conscience do? There's one greater than this totem pole. In other words, conscience of a man always gives man a desire or a longing to say, all right, who is this God? Are y'all hearing me say amen? Now here's what the Bible says. That just through creation and conscience alone, man is without excuse. So in other words, some man in a foreign land that's never heard the name Jesus, and he dies, where does he go? Well, let me ask you a question. Was he lost? Where does lost people go? That's where he goes. You say, well, preacher, that's not fair. God gave him creation. God gave him a conscience. And if in that man, through creation and consciousness, the life that God gave him, how many agree? God's the one that gave him. God's the one that gave him. Through what God gave him and that conscience and that creation, if he yearned to say, wait a minute, I want to know who this God is. And here's what God does. God obligates himself to get them the gospel because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And therefore, guess where the missionary call is? The missionary call is not me sitting down with a map and saying, well, this looks like a good country to go to. No, the missionary call is God putting a people on your heart because there's someone in that people group that's through creation and consciousness is yearning to know who this God is because they know that cow they're worshiping is not God. They know that tree they're worshiping is not God. They know that moon they're worshiping is not God. And they want to know who that God is. God obligates himself to get them a mission. God obligates himself to get him the word. You say, where's that found? Read Acts in Cornelius. But now here's the rub. If my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know? 
No man seeks after God. Then how could I, with a deceitful, desperately wicked heart, ever come to God? Ron quoted this passage. I've quoted it to you many times. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are blind by the God of this world. So guess what? When you were lost, can I tell you what God saw about you? You were blind. All right, someone that's physically blind, what can they see? I didn't hear you. I still didn't hear you. So if you're spiritually blind, what can you see of spiritual things? So how would you know that you need to be saved? You're blind by the God of this world unless. Aren't you glad for the term unless? The light of the glorious gospel, or as Ron correctly said, the gospel of glory should shine in your heart. So here's what God did. God knew you were blind. God knew you were blind to your need. God knew you were blind to his provision. God knew that you were blind to the person of Jesus, even though you knew who Jesus was, even though you could quote the Bible verses, even though you could quote what Jesus did. God knew that you were blind to who Jesus really was because you didn't understand who you were. And if you didn't understand who you were, how would you ever understand what Jesus really came to do? So God broke light up. Now, how many of y'all, and I want everybody that will be willing to do this to raise your hand. How many of y'all, before I get into these last two little things, are willing to hear me all the way out before you make a determination? Okay. So if I'm blind, and I don't know my need, and I don't know the, the fullness of his provision, then how can I without God, put my faith in Him. You can't. That's the reason the Bible says faith is a gift. You say, where does it say that, preacher? All right. Y'all ready? Say amen. These are not on your outline because I didn't plan on doing this. Now remember, you said you wouldn't draw a conclusion until I finish. Some of you already. <laughs> Hang with me. I promise I'll tickle your bell before we get done, okay? I'll check your box before we get done, I promise. But watch it. Acts chapter 3, verse 16. And his name through faith is in his name hath made this man strong. Talking about the one that was healed. Whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. I want you to look at that word, faith which is by him. The word by is translated 88 times as through. So where did the faith channel through? Who's the him? Jesus. Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I. But the life of Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. 
So whose faith do you live by as a Christian? I didn't hear you. Christ. So if you live by his faith as a Christian, how many of you agree that he had to give you his faith to be saved? All right. Let me show you some more. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Ron dealt with this, but I want to deal with one other aspect. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our what? All right. How many of you agree today that because you're saved, God's going to complete what he said he was going to do? How many of you agree God's going to finish this thing? How many agree there's going to come a day you're going to be glorified? How many agree there's coming a day you're going to be made like Christ? You're going to be perfect in Christ. How many agree there's coming a day when you're not going to have to deal with sin, flesh, and Satan anymore? Hey, I got some good news for you. He's going to finish what he... Uh Uh-oh. See, y'all just hung yourself. Because if he's the finisher, who's it say the author of our faith? So where did it begin? I hear people using these illustrations all the time. Drives me ape crazy. Well, I want to tell you right now, every man has faith in himself. It's just be- how you know that? Because when he sits in the chair, he's trusting the chair to hold him up. I got news for you. That has nothing to do with God. That's just common sense. All right. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by? Hearing by? Cometh how? By? Word faith come by? All right. Without the Spirit of God, do you have the ability to understand the Word of God? Uh Uh-oh. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Now watch it. For grace are you saved through what? It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. All right, what's the gift of God? Is it saved, grace, or faith? Let me answer it. Yes. How many of y'all earned the grace of God? If you did, you're in trouble. How many agree with that statement? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. All right, listen. How many of you agree you can't save yourself? How many agree you can't be saved but by grace through faith? Therefore, if salvation's a gift and grace is a gift, then what is faith? Matter of fact, if you read it in the original language, how it's worded in the original language, here's the way it's worded. For grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. Faith is not of yourself. It is God's gift. That's how the interlinear reads. All right? Y'all hang on. I'm still going to check those boxes. Some of you are looking at me squarely. So if faith is a gift, is repentance a gift? How many agree you can't be saved but by faith through repentance? How many agree repentance has to be a part of your salvation? So is repentance a gift? Yes. You say, how do you know that? Acts 11, 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. The word granted is translated 365 times as give.
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but must be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of truth. All right, so now, if you're saved today, did God give you salvation? Did God give you faith to be saved? Did God give you repentance? All right, now you ready? Here's that box some of y'all waiting on me to check. So where does the will of man come into all this? How many of y'all were already thinking that? I know you're not going to raise your hand, but some of you were. Let me ask you a question. Was God sovereign when he created man? Did God sovereignly, perfectly create man? Did God make a mistake in how he created man? Did God create man with a will? So if God initiated my salvation, God enables me to be saved through faith and repentance, then where's my will coming? Because here's the way God works. God breaks light on you. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God initiates. At that moment, you have an awareness that you never had before. An awareness of yourself in the eyes of God and an awareness of His provision for you on the basis of who you are. How many of y'all remember that day? But just because God made you aware by just breaking light upon you, did God do it? Could you be aware of that without God? No. That doesn't mean you were saved. Because upon that awareness, here's where your will comes in. God who created you with a will and the ability to act upon that will. God would never circumvent his own creation. So where does the will come in? At that moment, God in his sovereignty, sovereignly allowed, you to say yes or no to what God shows you. If I could not say no to the gospel, then how could God judge me on the basis of truth? And by the way, how could I say no to something that God has not made me aware of? I have a dear friend of mine who's a, if there was 20 points of Calvinism, he'd be a 20-pointer. I sat down with him one day, and this is what I said to him. I said, here's what I believe, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and other passages, that when a person rejects Christ, he rejects Christ only because God, through His sovereign grace, 
gave him creation or consciousness or conviction. And therefore, God initiated in a man before even a man could reject him. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. If I knew who I am and I knew who Christ, what Christ's provision is, why would anybody reject him? That's a great question. But men do it all the time. But at the same moment when God shows you these things, and in your heart, yes. Yes, that's who I am. Yes, that's who I need. God in His grace gives you faith to surrender and repentance to turn. So how many times y'all ever heard me say this? If you're saved today, it's God's fault. Now you know why I say it. But hell today is filled with people that God showed them themselves, showed them His provision, and they loved their own life more than what God showed them. So here's the invitation. Has that ever, ever happened to you? God initiates, God enables, but God in His sovereignty allows man to say yes or no. You say, well, Preacher, isn't that works? No. Works is activity. Works is not saying yes or no in your heart. But can I tell you what works is? Works is when you have to do something or say something before God will save you. When you hear somebody say, you've got to do this to be saved. If you'll do this, you'll be saved. There ought to be a radar that goes up in your mind and goes, wait a minute. But how many of you glad today that you, when you weren't looking for God, God found you? I pray this has cleared up any confusion. Has this helped you? If you're still confused, I want you to listen to me. I have an open door. Always. You will never, ever, ever bother me. Coming to me with questions. So God didn't predetermine who was going to be saved. But God in His sovereignty sure made a glorious way for us to be saved. And God did it. And the only part I had in it is saying yes to what God showed me.
And he didn't have to show us. And he would have still been God. But he chose to work in this manner. Praise him that he did. Praise him that he did. Listen, if you knew just 10% of what God knew about me, you wouldn't even have gave me a dog's chance of being saved. But God did it anyway. You say, well, preacher, I wasn't like that. Really? Let me tell you who we all are before God saved. Rebels! You say, well, preacher, I was a good person. No, you wasn't! You say, well, preacher, you're being judgmental. Oh, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just stating truth. You say, what truth? God's truth. You say, what truth? God's truth. The Bible said there's no good in you, not one thing. That ever happened to you? Father, I pray that this has been received with open hearts and open minds by your Holy Spirit as you've allowed us to understand a truth that is essential for us to understand. Father, I thank you today that you chose us and we didn't choose you. But Father, I also thank you today that every man, woman, boy, and girl through creation, consciousness, or conviction, every man, woman, boy, and girl will stand before you on the basis of what they did with the light you gave them. And I thank you today that you created us the way you created us. And that if Father, if you had to overpower our will and work around our will, then, Father, that alone would say how you created us was flawed. But you have never, ever done anything that's flawed. You're perfect in all that you've done. Yes, you enabled us. Yes, you gave us. Yes, you initiated us. But Father, thank you today that you're just as sovereign by allowing us to say yes or no as you were ever before time began. But Father, you know the hearts of everybody in this place. And you know who's came your way and who tried to come their own way. You know who in this place that the evidence of what they say they have does not jive with what they say they have. You know the heart of every one of us. You know my heart. You know every one of our hearts. And Father, maybe right here, right now, you are initiating in somebody or in individuals in this place, you're initiating this work of salvation. Oh, Father, may they, in seeing who they are and what you've provided, may they, in absolute brokenness, say yes.
But have your will and your way in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,